Good morning. Today's sermon reading is taken from John, chapter 1, and we're reading from verse 19 through to verse 51. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem were sent priests and Levites out to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptise if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptise with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is one that comes after me, whose straps of sand, his sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptising. The next day... John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptising with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptise with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. 
The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother, Simon, and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here truly is an Israelite to whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael de declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Amen. Thank you, Bob. It's a longer reading today, uh, but a good one. Uh, so let me pray uh, that God might speak to us this morning. Uh, dear Lord, as we come to your word today, I pray that, you might, that I might speak to it faithfully. I give each of us ears to hear and the heart to respond according to your will for us. Amen. It's interesting how social media has created a whole new industry in the communication space. So we now have this group of people called influencers and their aim is to use their personal credibility to build a sense of connection. Uh, you can now be friends with everyone, uh, from Taylor Swift to the President of the United States. And that connection creates all sorts of opportunities to convince people of a message. Uh, so we've now broadened the reach of every individual, but we've also given a voice to the crowd. So the individual can now speak louder than perhaps they ever could as they just sort of sit in their home in suburbia. Because if you get enough individuals together and you say it loud enough, then you can actually influence genuine change in our society. But it also makes it that much harder to find what is actually true when everyone is claiming to be proclaiming what is true. And so the influence really comes down to trust, doesn't it? Do we trust the messenger? Do we believe that they're actually authentic? Uh, and then do we trust the message? 
And sometimes, if, if the crowd's loud enough, we kind of begin to trust the message just by sheer force of volume. That enough people say it, well then surely it must be true. So society has changed a lot in the way that we use personal influence. But those two factors of messenger and message have always been important when it comes to truth and credibility. And so this isn't just limited to social media. Uh, this is just as true if we were in a court case and we were trying to understand the truth of a witness and, and the circumstances of events. And certainly today... Truth and credibility are relevant in this passage that we just read as John the Baptist testifies to the identity of Jesus. Because so far in this book of John, the message is pretty far-fetched. And so last week it started with these words, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then a few verses later, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. Uh, that is a tough message to hear. Uh, people should be rightly sceptical. Uh, so John begins his book by appealing to the testimony of someone who people see as credible, and his name was John. And so just to be clear, we've got the Apostle John writing about this guy, John, who wore camel hair clothes and ate locusts and wild honey and baptised people in the middle of nowhere. And so for short, I'm just going to call him John the Baptist. Okay, so we've got John the author and John the Baptist. And the first thing that stands out about John the Baptist is his influence. So starting at verse 19, now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. So in the other gospel accounts, we read how people from all walks of life uh, came out into the wilderness to hear John speak as he stood beside the Jordan and as he baptised people. Now, to walk from Jerusalem to where he was baptising was 134.1 kilometres give or take, and we're actually not quite sure where he baptised, so we'll give him 100 metres, you know, on either side. But this is a modern picture, but that's the landscape of, of, you know, the geography around the Jordan River. It is as barren as barren can be. And so for people to come out and listen to John says a lot about his influence. In fact, he was so influential that even the religious leaders from Jerusalem were coming out and wondering if he was the Messiah. So God had promised that he would send someone, this person was going to save Israel from all of their political oppression. And they're beginning to wonder, well, perhaps this man, John the Baptist, is that Messiah. And so John is absolutely clear. Verse 20, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. But if he's not the Messiah, well, then perhaps he is Elijah, which for us all seems a little bit random. But uh, for those who are, are coming to John, they're thinking of a verse in the book of Malachi uh, where it says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day the Lord comes. 
So Elijah was taken by God before his death. And so there's this expectation that Elijah will come again in person at some point and that he will be the one coming to declare the coming of the Lord. And again, John denies he is Elijah, uh, which is true in a literal sense. Uh, He was not the man Elijah. But in Matthew's account, actually, we read how Jesus has a clearer picture of Elijah's, sorry, of John's role than even John had. So Jesus says in the book of Matthew, he is the Elijah who was to come. And so undoubtedly and understandably, what we've got, what it looks very clearly to be a contradiction. Uh, but more likely, it shows the limits of his perspective and self-understanding. And perhaps it also shows uh, how we use language differently to communicate. So there's figurative language and there's literal language. And certainly in the Bible, there's lots and lots of examples of figurative language. So even here in the book of John, we've got Jesus is the word, Jesus is light, Jesus is bread and a gate and a vine. Uh, Now, all of those things are not literally true, of course, uh, but they are true figuratively in terms of his role. So John has denied all of these expectations, but these priests and Levites, well, they keep going because he's got to be someone. And so they're trying to work out where he fits in God's order of things. And so they ask him again, are you the prophet? And his answers sort of get shorter and shorter. This time he just answers no. Uh, and, And again, there's some subtlety in this because... Uh, John was a prophet, but not the prophet. When they're talking about the prophet, they're not thinking about the Messiah, but perhaps something more like Moses, who was a prophet leader. Uh, Not quite as impressive, uh, but still uh, right up there in terms of significance. And so at this point, they've, they've probed around in the Old Testament, trying to work out where John fits in. And then finally, they kind of give up. Okay, then... Who are you? And John answers by going to the book of Isaiah. He says, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. So John sees himself as nothing spectacular. Uh, Simply a voice calling out in a nobody place where nobody will hear. And he's saying, prepare the way of the Lord. And even though John perceives himself as a nobody, he becomes an unlikely person of influence. And so when he testifies, people listen. So verse 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John baptising was pretty controversial. Uh, It was one thing to baptise pagans, because obviously uh, they were filthy sinners and they needed to be cleansed. Uh, But it was another thing to baptise God's chosen people. How dare he suggest that they need help, that they are somehow unclean before God. Uh, But that's John's message, that we are all sinners, uh, that we are all unclean before God and that we all need help. And so John comes with this baptism of repentance. But of course, Jesus comes, uh, not just symbolically, but to actually deal with sin uh, so that that repentance can lead to genuine forgiveness and to genuine cleaning. 
Uh, So far in the Bible, the expression Lamb of God uh, is unique uh, up to this point in Scripture. Uh, But for someone who knew their Old Testament, it would make them think perhaps of Abraham and Isaac and how God provided a lamb as a substitute in that situation. Uh, For others, it will have associations with uh, the temple sacrificial system where an animal was killed as a symbolic substitute for the sin of the people. And certainly that's a really graphic image, I think particularly for our culture because there's a bit of dissociation between animals dying and ending up on our plate. Uh, But, you know, it's that image of a a life being taken uh, and it needs to be graphic because it needs us to get a sense of the seriousness of our sin. And it needs to help us to recognise that we need help and that our relationship with God is broken. So we all need our sin taken away and God will achieve that, not through a lamb, but through the lamb of God. So John the Baptist testifies that Jesus is going to be that substitute and John testifies to his nature. A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. So the Apostle John has already testified that Jesus is the eternal Son of God who was there in the beginning. And so we have the eternal Creator Son, Uh, we have the Father, and in a moment uh, we're going to read about how the Spirit of God came upon Jesus. And as we continue to read John's account, we get to find out that little bit more about what the Spirit is like. And John describes the Spirit as a unique person, just like the Son, just like the Father. So jumping ahead to John 14, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. So now we have one God, uh, three unique persons with a unique role and at the same time inseparable. So if you perhaps had problems with you know, John the Baptist being Elijah but not quite Elijah, then this is perhaps a deal breaker. Now one of the great scientific mysteries of our world is gravity. Uh, we know how it works and we like all the good things that result from gravity, like roller coasters. But when it comes to how it exists and why it exists... We've got no idea. Uh, And we'll keep trying to work it out. And and hopefully, you know, one day in in the future, we'll have an answer to that question. But right now, we simply accept that gravity exists and we try to harness it for our advantage. Uh, We don't know how God can be three and at the same time one. Uh, Perhaps one day we will know. Uh, But for now, uh, we do trust and take it to be true Not simply because it's said in the Bible, because of what else happens in the Bible. We look at all of the events and we say, well, if Jesus really can do miracles and if Jesus really does rise again from the dead, then I really am going to trust him when he says he's the Son of God. But we do need to take that on a level of trust, don't we? Because we don't know how it all fits together. But the Apostle John is very clear. Jesus is the eternal Son and John the Baptist is just as clear in his testimony. And their conviction is grounded in their experience. 
So picking up the account from verse 31. The reason I came baptising with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit coming down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptise with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So John the Baptist has this very tangible sign of the Spirit coming down on Jesus. He receives this very clear word from God. The guy who receives the Spirit is the guy who will give the Spirit to others. So he was calling people to repent. But much more significantly, John's role was to testify to the identity of Jesus. So his whole you know, task in the wilderness is really coming down to this one moment. And the Apostle John includes John the Baptist's testimony because he is a credible witness and because people trust his testimony. And so his testimony demands a response. And that response starts with the disciples of John the Baptist. So when John says Jesus was the Lamb of God, his disciples listened. Uh, They literally followed Jesus home, uh, but they also became followers of Jesus in terms of being his disciples. And from John the Baptist's perspective, this is exactly how things should happen, uh, that he should become less so that Jesus might become more. Uh, And then in very quick succession, we see Jesus gather a core group of disciples So at this point, we have a mystery disciple, uh, perhaps uh, John himself. We have Andrew, Philip and Peter and then Nathaniel. And each of these disciples acknowledge Jesus in their own words. So Andrew acknowledges Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, Philip acknowledges Jesus as the one who is spoken of in the Old Testament law and the prophets. Nathan acknowledges, Nathaniel, sorry, acknowledges Jesus as the son of God the king of Israel. And then right at the end of our passage, Jesus describes himself as the son of man. And that has all sorts of associations with the book of Daniel. So as the son of man, he represents humanity, but he's also the one who is given power and authority. And he is the one who rightfully deserves our worship. And that idea of worship, I think, makes lots of people very uncomfortable because worship means a loss of autonomy. It means relinquishing control to someone else. Uh, In reality, of course, we're not as in control as we like to think. Uh, We do things we don't want to do. We don't do things we want to do. And if you're in any doubt, just look at your New Year's resolutions. Uh, We're, what, five weeks in? And I'm not going to ask anyone to share how they're going. Uh, But sure enough, we thought it was a brilliant idea at the time, but we just don't always follow through. It's part of our nature and it's part of our nurture. Uh, We're controlled by the expectations of our family. Uh, We're shaped by the circumstances of our childhood. Uh, We are influenced by the world around us. Uh, Even our choice of clothing is influenced by what we see and perceive to be of value in our society. But when we worship God, we recognise our rightful place in all of this. 
But what we also discover is as we give up freedom, as we relinquish control, uh, we actually find freedom. Uh, we get released from a whole bunch of things that are controlling us that are negative and actually end up following something that gives control but actually works for our good and for our thriving. So all of these titles, they come together to declare that the time is now. Everything that God has promised in the Old Testament is coming to fruition. Uh, so how are we going with all of this? Okay, we're, we're you know, week two in you know, 20 weeks in the book of John. But John wrote this book that we might believe Jesus is the Messiah and by believing we might have life. So how do we go with John's testimony? Uh, for some here today, uh, you've been a Christian uh, for a long time and this passage is a confirmation of what you believe and perhaps a challenge to take that belief more seriously. Uh, do we really appreciate the life we have in Christ? Uh, do we find security and joy in recognising Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Uh, do we recognise Jesus as the Son of Man who rightfully deserves our worship and glory and honour? And if so, how does that glory and honour play out in all the details of our life? How does it play out in our family and how we raise our children and how we spend our time and money and perhaps in our aspirations for the year ahead or for the years ahead? Uh, do we tend to be more me-motivated or God-motivated in our decisions. Uh, for others here today, uh, you've, you've walked in and to this point, uh, you remain unconvinced. And, and I hope this passage goes at least some way to convincing you to work out who is this Jesus? Is this testimony actually true? Uh, and can I encourage you to keep working through your scepticism? Yeah. What are those obstacles... Uh, that make it difficult for you to believe. And certainly you're not alone. We, we live in a society where, as Christians, we are now the minority. But what are the obstacles? And what would it take to convince you? And can I even encourage you to pray to the God that you don't believe in, or that you're at least agnostic about, that he might, by his spirit, convince you of what is true? Uh, for others, it's not so much an issue of believing as it is an issue of commitment. Uh, our relationship with God is broken, but do we, are we willing to let go of all of those things that are precious to us uh, to restore that relationship? Now, I don't know what those things are, but often we, we just hold on to them so tightly we can't imagine letting them go. It would seem like all of life would fall apart without them. And I think at very least we need to start by recognising that that relationship with God is broken, uh, that we are sinners, that we do need help. And we need to recognise that God does love us, uh, that he's willing to forgive, that he calls us back into a relationship with him, uh, if we are willing to make that commitment. And if we do that, then he'll show us how to manage and reprioritize and perhaps even leave behind all of those things that we thought were so precious and so, you know, so much that we had to hold on to them forever and to show us a, a different way and a better way and a, a way that works in relationship with him rather than 
by ourselves. Uh, so for each of us, we've been given a testimony and we need to decide what we do with that testimony. But at least let's start by being clear on the testimony. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Amen.